Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. My shoe broke, and, um, and actually, yeah, last night I tried to nail it, and then this morning it broke again, and then I was like doing the duct tape thing, and then just before I came out, it broke again. I'm like, oh man, I might be kicking the shoes off at some point. We'll see. I like retaped it and all, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, we are midway through a, a series that's called Inside Out, and this series is, is sort of about what we might call some spiritual snapshots that are found in the book of 2 Corinthians. And these snapshots, they basically reveal to us how it is God, how he looks on the inside of us and he sees some things that we don't see about ourselves, or at least we don't see them the way that God sees them. And uh, so we're learning how it is that God wants us to see what he sees so that we can be who it is that he has intended us to be, who he knows that we are fully capable of being. So Randy has helped us to to understand how God looks inside and he sees us as wounded healers, we learned about the first week, and then competent ministers, jars of clay, ambassadors of reconciliation. And if you missed any of those messages, I highly recommend go back. You can go on the FCF app very easily and watch any past message or go to the website, fcfchurch.com. But today we come to one that I know everyone is just like super, super excited about. And it's this. Joyful givers. How excited are we this morning about this topic? We're going to talk about giving. And I just, I just know everybody is so stinking excited. I can see it. I can feel it in the air. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> not so much. I mean, I'm thinking it's sort of more like this. Here we go. Here we go. It's the money message. That's all churches want. That's all they want to talk about. They just want your money, money, money. And this is not what I need today. I don't need a bunch of guilt and pressure piled on top of my already, you know, the financial struggles that I already have. And plus, I came in here with some other pretty serious issues in my life. And so I don't need to hear about money today. That's the last thing I need to hear about. How about this other area of my life that's really important? As soon as that pager comes up, I'm faking like it's my kid. (laughs) And I'm out of here. Right? If you have to leave, the pager does. We won't assume that, okay? Maybe we could get Netflix on here for the next hour or something. You know, I understand. I really, really do. And that's why it's really important that we revisit three questions that Randy has been sharing with us at the start of each message in this series. Uh, Three questions that he says are really, really important if we want to maximize every Sunday morning, the experience that we have here. And the first question is this, why are you here? I mean, sometimes we just come to church and we don't really stop and think about that. But why am I here? You know, am I out of here? I have just a sense of obligation, a sense of duty. You know, it's just what you're supposed to do. Why am I here? And I'm telling you, the answer to that question greatly impacts the kind of experience we have any given Sunday. A second one goes a little bit further with that. Are you here seeking to hear from God? You know, have you really come saying, God, I want to, I want to hear you. I want, to, I want you to speak to me and to my life today. I, I've come to interact with you, to engage with you, and to hear you speaking to me. Have we done that? And then this next one is the, really one that, the one that really brings it home. Are you eager and open to whatever the Lord wants you to consider today? Are you Am I? You see, often we kind of come to church a bit subjective. Like I said, we've got this thing on our heart and our minds, this, this troublesome thing we're trying to deal with, and we just want some answers. And so we don't quite allow God to speak to us on an entirely different issue. But the God who knows us best and he loves us most, he knows. He knows that we need to be thinking about something else right now so that there can be some kind of a core level awakening or perhaps healing that can take place, something that we weren't even aware of, something that if we maybe work on this, it may just as well, just might take care of that other thing over here. So are we open and eager to allow God to speak to us in whatever way he chooses today? And if we do, we will truly, I tell you, we will receive the maximum benefit of this time. 
even with a topic like giving. You know, when we go to the doctor, if you go for sort of like an annual checkup, I won't ask if you do that or not. You should be doing that, though. But uh, when we go, the doctor starts doing what? Starts kind of poking and prodding, right? Don't you like the one where they hit back here, see how those kidneys are doing? So they'll poke and prod and press in various areas, and they're asking, what do they ask? Does this hurt? Right? Does this hurt? And if we say, ouch, that indicates something. That indicates there's, the, there's, there's a problem, Right? And so the doctor will say, well, we got to do something. we got to maybe do some tests or something because it's not supposed to hurt. The doctor isn't judging us. The doctor isn't condemning us because it hurts. The doctor just wants us to help us get well. And the same can be true when it comes to certain topics that are brought up. You know, sometimes we listen to a message and it pokes and it prods at our souls. And we don't like it because it hurts. It hurts, but just like the doctor says, it's not supposed to hurt. It means that there's perhaps something wrong. And Christ, our creator, he doesn't, he's not here to judge us. He's not here to condemn us. He just wants us, he just wants us to get well, and he wants to help us get well because it's not supposed to hurt. But the fact is, we all know when it comes to this subject, uh, the subject of giving, it pokes at our souls, and it often hurts, doesn't it? Ouch. Ouch. And the reason it hurts is simply because of this. We're scared, aren't we? Finance, financial talk and finances, it, 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 it brings a lot of anxiety and fear in our lives. We're scared that we're just not going to have enough you know, we're scared that we're going to have to make some kind of a big change in our lifestyle, and our lives. We're scared of the unknown, what's right around the corner, what could happen. I mean, this subject, it has huge implications for our lives. And so we're scared. And we naturally, we naturally just want to protect ourselves. That's all. So what do you say we do this? Let's start out this message like this. Let's all just take a great big breath. Just a, everybody with me. Big breath in. Let it out. Okay, let's just relax. We are in the hands of a loving father who completely understands and he cares about these things, about these worries that we have and these fears that we have. We have a father who loves us. He wants only what is good for us. He wants our best and our highest well-being. He is not here to judge or condemn us at all, but he's here to heal us and to help us. Help us so that it doesn't hurt anymore. So now, now that we're all chill and relaxed, right? right? We're eager and open to hear from our Father on this topic. Let's turn in those Bibles at your seats. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians uh, I think page number is going to come. There it is up there. Page 1305 is where you're going to find this. And we're going to continue through our book of Second Corinthians now, as we've been doing this whole series. And we're going to land in chapter 8. Now, this particular book of the Bible, it's actually a letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul had written to the church that was in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. And uh, this is where he had actually, about five years ago, planted this church. So he's now writing this letter back to them. And in this particular part of the letter, it's really interesting. What he's doing is he's reminding them that they had that said they wanted to make this financial gift. Uh, they actually made it as a promise. They wanted to give this financial gift to help some other Christ followers in another area, in Jerusalem and Judea. And so he's kind of prompting in this letter. He's like, hey, I want to remind you, this is what you said. And you know, when we show up there, be ready, because this is what you said, you know. So that's what this eighth chapter is all about. It's kind of funny, really. And, uh, but he starts out reminding them by praising another group of churches that he had helped plant as well, that he had planted in an area called Macedonia. Now, this would have included the city of Philippi, Thessalonica, for which we also have letters uh, that he had written to these churches in our New Testament scriptures. So let's see what Paul said about these Macedonian churches. He's telling the church in Corinth about them. Starting in verse 1, he says, Now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches in Macedonia. 
that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did so voluntarily, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. Saints are just fellow followers of Christ. Nothing more than that. We're all saints if we're a follower of Christ. And they did this not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Thus we urge Titus that just as he had previously begun this work, so he also should complete this act of kindness for you. They're going to send Titus to go back and collect this offering and encourage the people. And then it says, so just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all eagerness and in the love from us that is in you, make sure, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. And I encourage you on your own to go ahead and read, you know, at some point the rest of chapter 8 where he just, again, talks of this encouragement like, you know, you promised this, I want to encourage you to follow through and so forth. But as we read just that part where he's talking about these Macedonian churches, for me, it raises this, this really big question. And the question is this, what's up with these people? <laughs> I mean, seriously, what's up with these people acting like this? I mean, let's break down the things it said in the letter. It, it, it says that, what's the first thing? It says that they're undergoing this severe ordeal of suffering. And they were, being suffered, they were suffering and being persecuted for their faith in Christ as these followers, these new Christians. So they're, they're undergoing suffering and persecution for that. Then it says, it describes them extreme poverty. And again, a lot of that was probably due to the persecution they were experiencing. It was also kind of social and economic persecution as well. So they're in extreme poverty, but they give this gift voluntarily. So nobody's coercing them. Nobody's saying, you need to do this, you have to do this. It's all voluntary. And then it goes on. It says more. It says that they, be, they gave beyond their means. So it wasn't just what they were able, which kind of makes you wonder, extreme poverty, what were they even able to give? But he says it's even beyond that. And then it says more. It says that they begged to give. Please let us give. Please let us give. I think every senior pastor of a church wants that from his people, right? Please let us give. Begging. And then it says also that they called it a blessing, not a burden. They said, this is a blessing. We want, we're begging you to give because we see it as a blessing. In other versions of the, the Bible, it says privilege. It uses the word privilege. What's up with these people? What's up with these people? Maybe this is just some kind of a cultural thing. You know, maybe this is like an ancient biblical times thing, right? That that's how they did it back then, and now we have a little bit more sense. But... But how do you explain then this story I came across of a group of believers today in Nanjing, China? See, one Sunday a few years ago, there was this older Chinese woman who now lives in Los Angeles, but she was visiting this church in Nanjing, and this was a very poor church. It was a lot of just farmers, very, very, very poor church. And the 900 people who were present, 900 people, isn't that cool? They, they were present for this service, and so they wanted to hear a word from their sister who was from the state. So Mrs. Chang, she, she brought greetings from her church in Los Angeles. And she told how the Lord, how, how he's just kind of blessing them and how that so many were being added to their church. Their church was growing, and, and so they were currently building a, a new addition. Now imagine what that cost in Los Angeles, Right. And so then after a word of blessing for this church, she took her seat. But then at the close of the worship service, Mrs. Chang was called back up front again. And the pastor, he said, he said that her words had just thrilled their hearts. So much so that they wanted her to have their morning offering that had been taken that morning for this new building that they were uh, building in Los Angeles. And it was about $140. $140, which to them, poor farmers in China, was a boatload of money. I mean, like these Macedonians a couple thousand years ago, in the midst of a severe ordeal of suffering and extreme poverty, these people gave their financial resources voluntarily beyond what they were able. So what's up with these people? You know, and it's so easy to look at both of these situations and think, well, these people are just unwise. 
They're, they're foolishly impulsive. You know, they're being careless. They're being reckless. They're irresponsible with their financial resources. They obviously have not taken Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and followed the baby steps, right? So we might ask, you know, what caused these people to be so foolishly impulsive? Was it fear? Were they afraid of something? They better give pressure? Was it guilt? Or maybe they just wanted to impress other people, wanting to impress people, make us do some foolish things, right? Or maybe they thought somehow in, a, in this mystical, superstitious way, if I do this for God, then God will bless me. You know, I'll get God on my side and off my back, as Randy said. Maybe. The only problem is that the scriptures, they don't indicate anything like that at all. But Paul's letter does give us some insight into the, the causal factor of this crazy kind of giving. In reading from a translation known as the Passion Translation, I want to read that verse uh, 2 to you again. And it says it this way, that from the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an extravagant, to an act of extravagant generosity. Superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. Joy. Superabundant joy. What the heck is that? You know? And where does that come from? And, and how they get so filled up with it? How does that happen? Same question. What's up with these people? Well, you know, we're going to take that question, what's up with these people, and we're going to set it aside for a moment. We'll come back there, all right? But here's another really good question. What's up with God? I mean, seriously, what's, what's up with God in commanding this? You know, seriously. And see, in the Old Testament, we find that God, uh, he gave specific commandments and laws to the nation of Israel. These were the people through whom he had chosen to bring about a revelation of himself to the rest of the world. It was through them that ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, the full revelation of God in flesh would come. And to them, he, he gave a lot of commandments and laws. And, and one of them was this. It's found in Leviticus. And it says, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. Now that word tithe, it means something very specific. It's not just an offering. It means 10%. So God commanded every Israelite that they give 10% of their income back to God, to his work at that time. 10%, a commandment. Now many people, they argue today about whether the tithe applies to Christ followers in, in today's world because they say, well, that Old Testament laws were for the Israelites. They don't apply to us today. So, so then what do the New Testament scriptures say on this thing of giving and so forth? Well, one of the things we find in 1 Timothy 6, it says this. It says, command them to be generous and willing to share. Command them to be generous. We can't get around it. God expects his people to give. So what's up with that? You know, seriously, what's up with that? Why would God command us to give? Why does he do this to us? I mean, doesn't he realize that we're just trying to take care of ourselves and our families? Doesn't he realize that we just want to enjoy life a little bit, you know? Doesn't he realize how unpredictable life can be? That, you know, isn't he aware how scared we are of not having enough or that, that we're going to have to face some kind of a financial crisis around the corner that, we, that we're not prepared for? We never expected. We didn't see it coming. Well, perhaps an all-knowing creator, one who is good, and loving, perhaps he does indeed know all these things about us, about life. But he also knows some things that we don't know. He knows some things we don't know. Perhaps from his perspective, it's not about doing something to us, but rather doing something for us. You know, that it's not about something that he wants from us, but something he wants for us. Romans 8, it reminds us of something that I'm telling you is one of the most important things we need to understand and hold on to, and it's this. God is 
for us. Our God is for us. He's not against us. He's not out to get us. He's not out to just make life hard for us. Our loving creator is for us. And so the same is true of his commands. You know, his commands are not about doing something to us, but rather doing something for us. A while back, I read something uh, one day, and it just struck me so hard. I wrote it down, I cut it out, and I taped it to my computer monitor. So I read it every day. The problem is I can't remember where I read it or who wrote it, uh, but I can still share it with you. I think it was probably in my Life Application Study Bible, which is the same one we sell here in the FCF store. But this is what it said. I read it every day. Every command is an invitation to experience life to its fullest. Now, can we just sit with that one for just a moment? Just let let that one sink in. Every command that our God gives, it's actually an invitation to experience life to its fullest. That connects with something that Jesus said. It's recorded in John's gospel in the chapter 10, uh, verse 10, I believe. And Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And the thief, the person he's talking about is none other than Satan, the adversary. He's the one who's against us, against God and God's ways. So it says that he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy life. You know, he wants to take it from us. But what does Jesus say? He says, I have come that they may have life and have what kind of a life? Life to the full. That's why Jesus says he's come. You see, his desire is for each and every one of us is that we would live the best life we possibly can experience on this planet. Life in all its fullness. And we got to say that this life in all its fullness, it begins when we are restored and reunited and reconnected to him, Christ, our creator. And that happens through trust. You see, it happens when we see the beauty of his character, his goodness. We, We come to see the depth of his love that he revealed on the cross, where it showed us that his love is a sacrificial kind of love for us. He says, I'm willing to die for you, that level of love. And when we respond to that truth and that revelation about who he is, when we can see it for ourselves, and then we turn to him and we say, I trust you. There's nobody else in this life that I could trust like you, my creator. Then it's then that we're reconnected with our creator. And we enter into this loving and harmonious relationship with him that each and every one of us are created for. And so through this trust, then we come to realize that because he is the creator, he's the designer of all of life. He knows some things about us. He knows some things about life that we don't yet know and understand. But we can believe and trust that because he's good and loving, we see that in Jesus. Because of that, his ways are good and loving, and and therefore then his commands are also good and loving. They are for us not against us, and they will lead us into life, I guarantee you, a life that we all long for, even, even this commandment to give, to be generous. Even that one is for our good. It's for our good. It doesn't take anything from us, even though we we tend to perceive it that way, don't we? That's how we tend to see it or feel. It actually gives something to us. It really does. Let's get a little bit more specific with all this, okay? There's three things that every human being longs for. Do you know that? Three things. Whether we realize it or not, we all long for this. We long for security, we long for satisfaction, and we long for significance. Security. We just want to feel safe. You know, it's a core need that every human being has. We want to be safe, man, and, and, and that's physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, financially. We just want to be safe. And then satisfaction, well, we just want to be happy, right? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. A desire to be happy, to enjoy life, that's satisfaction. And then significance. We all, we may not realize this one as much, but it is there. We all just have this desire to matter, that our life matters, that it makes a difference, that we somehow, big or small, make a difference when we're on this planet, that our lives made a difference, that we matter and our lives matter. And you see, God is well aware, well aware of these needs because he's the one who designed us. You know, he's the one who made us. 
And he's also well aware of how easy it is for us to be deceived into thinking that money is the means to those things, to experiencing security, satisfaction, and significance. You know, it's so easy for us that, that money, feeling safe and secure in life, can only be had through financial stability, right? There's no other way. That's the only thing that's possible. If you want to feel safe and secure, you've got to be financially stable. And, and that we need money to buy the things and the experiences that will make us happy and satisfy us, right? You can't be happy and have things and do stuff apart from money. And that it's the people with money, they're the ones who, who really seem to matter and make a difference in this world, right? So it would seem in our world today. The problem is what money really gives us, what money really gives us is this, tofu. <laughs> tofu. A fake version of the real thing. That's what money has to give us. I told you a, a couple of times ago when I gave a message, I told you about this whole experience of dining in the dark, this restaurant where you, you go in complete darkness and, and you dine in the dark. And um, the interesting thing, I didn't tell you this, that it was actually a vegan restaurant. So out of the seven courses that we had, most every course had some form of tofu. You know, it, it was food that was made to taste like crab or like chicken or like steak, I think you can make tofu into anything, right? Now, if I had never, ever had the real thing before, you know, if I'd never actually had in my life real crab before and real chicken and real steak, I would probably be completely satisfied and happy with tofu. I wouldn't know what I was missing out on. How tofu is actually just a substitute that falls way short of the real thing. You see, money will provide you and I with some security, with some satisfaction, with some significance, but it's a tofu version. It's a tofu, tofu, tofu version, that's hard to say too many times, that actually robs us of the real thing that our souls long for. That's why a, a pastor, Andy Stanley, uh, many of you are familiar with him. He says this. He says, God doesn't want to take your money. He just doesn't want your money to take you. He doesn't want your money to take you. You see, God doesn't want our money to rob us, to steal from us the real thing that God wants us to have, real security, real satisfaction, and real significance in this life. And that's why Jesus gave this warning uh, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. I cannot serve both God and money. It's just reality. It, it's just the way it is. You see, you and I, we, we either seek to gain our sense of security, satisfaction, and significance in life from money, from financial stability, or, which is tofu, or we will seek the real thing. You know, we, we will seek what is true and lasting from the one who created us. And whichever one we choose, it's going to have great impact, tremendous impact on our lives, on our hearts, and on our minds. You see, if money wins out, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. We're in trouble because it will affect our minds with something. It will affect our minds with fear. We will live with this underlying fear, worry, anxiety, because you see, if something happens, if something happens and the money is suddenly gone, there goes the security and the satisfaction and the significance. It's out the window as well. It all goes away when the money goes away. So we're going to constantly live what's around the corner. What might happen? I don't know. I could lose my job. The stock market could fall. Did it, all these things. And so we're just going to live with this constant sense of fear and anxiety. And it will affect our hearts as well. It will affect our hearts with selfishness. You see, money will grab hold, and it will just squeeze all the love right out of our hearts. It will just wring it out like a wet wash rag. Shh, there goes all the love until they're just kind of shriveled up and they're small and they're rendered useless by self-preservation. That's our big concern. Watch out for myself. 
self-gratification. I just want to be happy. Take care of me. Make sure I got happy. And self-promotion. Self, self, self-absorption. Just squishes our hearts. You see, Scripture tells us that God is love. And it tells us that we're made in his image. We share that all the time. And when God built his universe, he built it to operate in harmony with his own nature, love. That's how our universe is meant to function, on love. Dr. Tim Jennings, he explains it this way. He says, the Bible teaches that love is the design protocol for life. Love. Love is the design protocol for life. The principle of other-centered giving, that's what love is, on which life is constructed. Love makes the world go round. God designed his universe, including all the people in his universe, you and I, to operate on the principle of other-centered giving, which is love. And if we haven't learned then to give in all ways then we haven't really learned how to love because love is other-centered giving. There's a popular financial advisor, advisor, I'm sure you've probably seen her on TV, Susie Orman, um, and she talks about a time when she was in Mexico in one of her books, and she said that there was this merchant selling parrots, but they weren't in cages and they didn't fly away. So she said she was just kind of fascinated by this. She asked the merchant, do these birds just love you so much that they have no desire to fly away? And uh, he laughed, and he said no. And he explained, he said, I trained them to think their perches mean safety and security. When they come to think this, they naturally wrap their claws tightly around the perch, and they don't want to release it. They keep themselves confined as if they've forgotten that they know how to fly. Now, that's a cool little illustration, but this is what's really cool. Susie Orman goes on to write this in her book. She says, suddenly a light bulb went off in my head, and she says, we are just like those poor parrots. We have been taught to clutch our money as tightly as we can, as if our money is the perch of our safety and security. And just like those parrots, we have all, gotten how, we have all forgotten how free we really are, with or without the perch. The more afraid we are, the tighter we hold on, and the more we have trapped ourselves. Now, what I find so utterly fascinating about what she says there is that she's not coming from a Christian perspective. She's not coming from any kind of a spiritual perspective. She's coming from the perspective of a financial advisor. She's just saying, as a financial advisor, expert in the field, that's what I see. She says she asked the merchant how it is that uh, how he would go about unteaching this behavior. And the merchant said, easy. He said, you just show them how to release their grip, and then they can fly as free as they want. To show them how to free, let go, release their grip. Just as God wants us to release our grip on money as our perch of safety and security, he also wants money to release its grip on our hearts so that we can be free. Free to love, and thereby free to live life to the full, the life that he intends each one of us to live. So how do we get free? Jesus spells it out real plain and simple for us. Again, in John's gospel, he says, if you continue to follow my teaching, then you're really my disciples. You're, you're my followers. And you, you will know the truth. The truth connects with his teaching. And then what will that truth do? It will set you free. He says, follow my teaching. Because my teaching, my commands, anything I command, anything I teach, they are for you. It's all for you. It's not against you. It's all for your good, my teaching. These are not strange commands I've imposed on you to make your life miserable and hard. These are the laws of your being. They are simply communicating to you how I have designed you. The law of love. It's written on your heart. That's what sets us free. That's the truth that sets us free. A friend of mine and I, we were having a serious spiritual conversation this week as we were coloring each other's hair. <laughs> we were. Women always have very serious conversations. 
at this time. I don't know about you men. Do you men color each other's hair? <laughs> do y'all do that? Just wondering. They know what goes on at those men's events, you know. But anyhow, we were talking about the message, and we got into a serious conversation about it. And she told me all about how she had read this little book uh, called The Treasure Principle. And we talk a lot about that book. We give it away at our 5C seminar. Uh, we give it away for free in the bookstore. And I realized as I say that, I didn't tell them to make sure anything was stocked. So I don't know. There might only be five books in there right now. But if you want one, you write it on your card, and I'll make sure you, you get a book. Um, but she talked about reading that book. And she said what I've heard tons of people say when they read this book, how much it impacted and changed her life. She says it transformed her relationship with God as well as her relationship with money. And she said the thing, the part of the book that uh, jumped out at her most was how it talked about how giving is a trust issue. The book talks about a lot of things, but the one part was about a trust issue. And in particular, it was talking about tithing, that whole giving 10% of your income. And she said it just pressed on her heart she thought, how can I say, I say that I trust God and I'm following him. How can I say I trust him, but I know I'm withholding this one area of my life. And she said, it just, you know, kind of conviction, like a good thing though, just pressed upon her, not like in a bad way, but she was like, man, I, I got to do something about this. So she, she made this decision to demonstrate her trust with every area of her life by also in this financial realm doing the 10%. It wasn't out of an obligation or guilt. It was what she wanted to do. It was her desire. And she said that was about eight years ago. And never once has she ever regretted that decision. And then she went on to speak about how freeing the experience of giving was for her, about the huge difference that it made in her heart, her outlook on life, her faith, her trust in God, her relationship with God, all the while making no noticeable difference in her lifestyle. She said that was the biggest, you know, surprise of all. She just thought there was just going to be this dramatic change. And she's like, and it didn't. She goes, I don't know how, but it didn't. So we talked about how she didn't need to prove to God how much she trusted him, but she needed to prove it to herself. So she's experiencing life now on this whole different level, this whole different plane. She's free to experience a life characterized by full and complete trust in God and in other-centered giving, a life of love, life to the full. My friend learned what God wants all of us to understand, and it says it's not about the money. It is not about the money. It's about me. It's about me. It's, about, it's not about what God wants from me. It's about what God wants for me, for me. You know, in the Old Testament, when God gave that commandment to tithe 10%, you know, what it was, it was meant to be a, a teaching moment, a lesson. It, it, it was a life lesson so that they could understand, that they could trust him. He, he had to do something very tangible and specific. You do this and I'll show you. You can trust me. I am your source of security and satisfaction and significance. Let me prove it to you. So you do this, and I'll show you this. I will always provide for you. I will always take care of you. Thousands of years later, we who now have this full revelation of God in Christ, we know what God is like. We see it fully in Christ. We know that our God is kind and good and forgiving and loving to us. He says something a little different. We already saw it. He said, be generous. He says, I'm not going to be real specific with you. I'm not going to spell it out for you exactly. I want you to figure it out on your own. Just be generous. Well, what's generous? Is the tithe generous? Uh, is more than the tithe generous? What's generous? I mean, for one person, $20,000 might be generous, but for someone else, $20 is generous. So how do we figure out what generous is for each of us? Well, the next chapter in 2 Corinthians, when we go to chapter 9, and as Paul continues his discussion of giving with these Corinthians, we come to this one part, verse 7. Bill shared it with you as we gave our offering this morning, and we share it so often, but let's break it down. You see, in verse 7, it starts like this. It says, each of you. Each of you. So he's, he, each means very individually. You and you and you and you. He's not talking as a group now. He's saying each of us. 
It's individual. It's personal. And he says this to us, each of you should, we should give. Each should give. He's saying, this isn't just for some. This is for everyone. And the reason it's for everyone is because it's not about the money. It's about me. It's not about what God wants from me. It's what he wants for me, my life, me being free, freed up to live life to the full. So we each, we each should give. But then he gives us a little bit more. He says, what you have decided. This to me is the part that it's so easily overlooked and missed. And yet I think it's the most important part of this whole verse we're going to read. What you have decided. This means that we have taken time to really stop and think about this subject. We, 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 have, we have thought through it all. We've come to some conclusions. And then based on those conclusions, we've actually made a decision. We've decided. We must each. We must each come to a point of decision on this matter. Not just kind of show up and, you know, oh, whatever. From week to week. We, it's a decision. I've made my decision. And we need to revisit the decision over and over again, too, at different phases and stuff in life. So then it goes on. What about this decision? What you have decided, where's the decision made? In our hearts. What you've decided in your heart. You see, ultimately, this is a heart decision. We can look at our checkbooks. We can look at our bank accounts. You know, all these things. We can check everything out, but ultimately it's not a financial decision. It's a heart decision. Do I really trust God with every aspect of my life was the question, the decision my friend needed to make. Maybe yours will be something different. Giving decisions are heart decisions. Then he says this. He says, not reluctantly. Not reluctantly. Don't, don't be like Lily. Lily is... Some friends of mine had this little three-year-old girl. It was a long time ago, but when she was three, her name was Lily, and, and her parents were teaching Lily how to share. And uh, so one time, the family, they had other families over, and they had this little gathering, and so all the kids were over in the room playing with all the toys and games and stuff, and little, little Lily is just like standing back in the corner, and she's just like, just looks so stressed out. She's kind of like this, and, and Grandma went over, and she says, Lily, what's wrong? And Lily goes, I sharing, I sharing. She was doing what her parents were, teach, was, were teaching her to do, but, but Lily was kind of reluctant. And I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking God does not want us coming in here each week. And when the offering comes, we go, I giving, I giving. I don't, I don't think that's what God wants. Not reluctantly. And then finally, also not under compulsion. Under compulsion. That would be like this church in Tampa that I saw this video about this week. Someone here in church sent it to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, what perfect timing. There was this church where after attending uh, this church for about six months, a young single mom uh, received a delinquency notice from the church, her new church, asking her, telling her that she needed to contribute $50 a month along with other assorted fees. They had some kind of anniversary fee and this fee and that fee and all this if she wanted to remain a member in good standing. After six months, the woman said that things were going perfectly at her new church until she received this letter. No kidding, <laughs> right? No kidding. Might affect attendance a little bit. God want us, doesn't want us to give under compulsion, under pressure. So we have God says... Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because what's God love? Cheerful givers. Apparently, if we do all of this, this is what results. We become cheerful givers. And why does God love cheerful givers? Because you see, when he looks inside us, as we started this message in this series of what it's all about, as he looks inside of us, that's what he already sees. He sees it. He sees people who are created to be generous givers just like himself. Hearts he created to operate on this other-centered giving, in other words, to love. Hearts he designed to love. He sees the potential that is inside each one of us. And he also knows the desire 
He knows that the desire is there within our souls to be generous givers. That if we could, if we weren't afraid, we would be generous givers. No doubt about it. The desire is there. The problem is we're just scared. We're scared, but he wants to free us. He wants to free us from those fears. So he's trying to let us know today that we don't need to be afraid. You know, trust, our trust can drown out the fear if we just give it a chance. And if we do, we will be set free to love, free to experience life to its fullest, free to experience what it's like to be joyful givers. Joyful givers, just like those Macedonians. What was up with those people? What was up with those people? We're kind of back to that question. You know, it said super abundant joy that overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. What was up with those people? I don't know. You see, I don't know because the scriptures don't spell it out specifically. They just mention this joy, you know. So I don't know exactly why. I could only speculate. I could only guess. Probably a pretty good educated guess. But here's, here's what I do know. I know about myself. I know what's up with me when it comes to this. I know about my experience. You see, I started giving in my late 20s. I was kind of a new Christian, and I had learned about tithing. And so for me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm scared. Somebody said I was supposed to tithe, and I'm not doing it, and I might get in trouble. So I'm going to start tithing. And so it's out of the sense of duty and obligation and a little bit of fear, you know. And so I just thought, well, that's what you do. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to tithe, so I better tithe, you know. So I did it. Um, but it wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after that obligation and duty was replaced with this, I am not kidding when I say a deep sense of joy and even excitement. I never regretted that decision once from that point on. And I actually came to the point very soon that I couldn't imagine not giving. It, it just, just doesn't even make sense to me. You know, and I, and I got to share this with you. And almost 30 years later, I have never, ever had a financial problem that resulted from my giving, just from my spending. <laughs> know what I'm saying? When I got myself in trouble, it wasn't because of what I was giving. That's so true. It, was cause, it wasn't because of out of control giving. It was from out of control spending every single time. And here's the truth, too. I got a savings account, I got a budget, I got a 401k, I got all these things. My finances have been in better order since I give than they ever were before. Giving, it's like the thing that brought it all together and made it all make sense. So giving is like the priority, but I still save and I, I do all those things. And my finances are in so much better order. I give because a good and loving God has given so much to me, and he keeps on giving so much to me. I give because he is so kind, he's so generous, it's so beautiful, I just want to be like him. I really, really do. I give because I don't ever want my money to take hold of me and control me, you know, where it gets you fearful and anxious, and then it just squeezes all the love out of you. I don't want that. I don't want money to take away my ability to love. I give because I have learned firsthand how truly it is a blessing to give. It is, we're more blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive, it says in the book of Acts. I am telling you, I get the biggest kick out of it anytime I have an opportunity to help someone when God has brought some across my path and, and I'm able to, to help and, and give. I get so excited, just like those crazy Macedonians. I give to my church, FCF. And I give to a few other organizations, too, that I believe are doing great things on this planet because I want to be a part of that. You know, it's that whole thing, put your money where your mouth is, and I want to be fully on board to support God's good work on this planet and all that he's doing, you know? I, just like one pastor had once said, the local church, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right, and that's the church I want to give to. Its beauty is indescribable. Its potential is unlimited. I want to give to that. It comforts the grieving and it heals the broken within the context of community. I want to give to that. It offers truth to people, the truth about life, the truth about God. I want to give to that. It provides resources for those in need and it opens up its arms to the forgotten and the downtrodden and the disillusioned. And I want to give to that. It breaks the chains of addictions in people's life and it frees them from oppression. I want to give to that. 
Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. And I've seen it over and over again in this church. And I am thrilled. It is a privilege to be able to give to that, to watch people's lives being transformed. Families, marriages being transformed. That's what I give to. And that's why I give. And that's why I'm going to end this message right now, today, with a challenge for you. All right? And I got to say, this is even more than, like, encouraging you. I am truly challenging you. And you're like, here's coming. She's going to challenge us to tithes. Here it comes. Nope. That is not my challenge. My challenge is that each of you go home this week and, and you, you plan a time. Carve out a time. If you don't plan a time, it's not going to happen. But plan a time where you will decide in your heart what you will give. All I'm saying is I'm asking you, challenging you, go home, plan a time when you make a decision. That no longer we just sort of just leave this topic out there and you hear about it and then you go on and forget about it. You will, each of you, will make a decision in your heart. It's between you and God. It's personal. But if you do that, if you do that, I promise you, you'll be free. You'll start to experience a new kind of freedom. And you'll be just what God says he sees inside each one of us, a joyful giver. And so I hope each one of you, each one of us, even for me, I'm going to go home and revisit the issue. I haven't thought about it in a long time. This is what I do. I just keep doing it. I'm going to revisit the issue. And I'm going to decide once again in my heart at this season in my life, decide in my heart what I will give. Because I want to be a joyful giver. God says that's what I'm able to. And I want all of us to be able to experience that freedom and life to the full that he says is ours. Let's pray together. God, how we thank you for your truth, your truth that enlightens our minds. Uh, we can go through life just kind of thinking we know what things are about and thinking we understand ourselves and we understand li uh, life and, and all in this world. And, and you have these moments where you shine light and you go, no, your thinking is a little mixed up. So we thank you so much for this opportunity and how I pray, God, that each person has been receptive to just let this truth soak into their souls, into their minds and their hearts. And I just pray that each person will become the joyful giver that you've created each one of us to be. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.